We live in a busy and frantic world filled with stress, anxiety, and the pressure to perform. But all our effort has really reaped is burnout, shallow relationships, and a disconnection from God. So for the next several weeks, we are going to embark on a journey of spiritual formation where we will bring together aspects of faith and discipleship that are often separated and segmented from each other. I believe that God wants to transform us, especially in those areas that lay beneath the surface. On the surface, things look great. Life looks impressive. It's all good. But we build walls around ourselves, only letting people see what we want them to see. And all too often, we spend very little time looking beneath the surface. But when we bring our anxiety, our past, our feelings, and our reactions into the light, what we're gonna find is the abundant grace of God. So the purpose of the deeply formed life in Christ is to share it with others. But without living in communion with God, we are incapable of doing anything fruitful. We're going to explore these values with one great objective, to have Jesus deeply form our lives into his image. So on April 10th, 1912, over 2,200 people set out and embarked on a journey on the grandest, most spectacular vessel of all time. It was literally unsinkable. Thank you. But I must confess, that's not my voice in the background. You probably know the story, but a cruise liner called the Titanic, the first of its kind at that level and that magnitude, set out for a journey like it had and many other cruise lines had hundreds of time before. But four nights later on the fateful night of April 14th, 1912, something went terribly wrong. They struck an iceberg under the surface of the water. Now, what's interesting as you follow the, the, the series of events is there were two very different realities on the Titanic. As soon as they hit the iceberg, um, the, the workers underneath in the lower cabins and even those who had less money, the more uh, lower class poverty stricken passengers became keenly aware quickly there was a problem because water started coming on quickly. But adversely up on the top decks, they were oblivious that there was a problem. There was still riches, there was opulence, there was singing, there was luxury, there was dancing, and they continued on for quite some time, actually, as though nothing had happened. So you have two different realities. Below the surface, water is coming on. Above the surface, there's kind of this obliviousness that anything is even wrong. But as history would have it, it only took so long, it only took a certain amount of time for the water that was below the surface to get to the surface. And on that fateful night, fateful night, it only took a matter of time before the water encapsulated the, the building, the building, the, the ship, the Titanic, and it consumed to its icy depths. 2,200 people started out that night, or that, that trip, only 700 made it home. 1,500 people lost their lives. The damage that was done below the surface is what caused the, uh, was what made its way to the top of the surface and made the Titanic sink. It's the perfect metaphor for what we see all too often in life. It's what we're going to spend the next five weeks on, and it's what we're going to dive into. And, and it's what causes us to ask kind of this question that I think we owe it to ourselves to ask. How can I know if my soul is like the Titanic? 
What do I mean by that? That on the outside, that on the surface, on, up, up top, everything looks good and is acting normal. But unbeknownst to me, underneath the surface, there's chaos, there's turmoil, there's waters rising that if I don't address it, if I don't do something about it, that the water below the surface is most inevitably going to make its way to the surface and eventually tank and sink my life. That is the premise of this series. That is the premise of this book. That is the premise of the next five weeks. Because sooner or later, the issues of our life's lower deck, though, we'll, though we may even remain oblivious and often do, unfortunately, will nevertheless rise to the top. And so my 20 plus years in ministry has be kind of knowing the answer to this question, but I like to ask it anyway. How many of us are unwittingly in danger of being broken and sucked down without even realizing there's stuff going on under the surface? And the challenge is, the, the, the hard part is that most of us, just by nature of the world we live in, we won't actually take the time. We won't actually do the deep dive. We won't look deep inside because we've actually been shaped by a culture and even by way of being just here and now, we've even been discipled religiously into a, a kind of a superficial religious experience. And it doesn't really matter what experience you've had. If you've never really, if this is the beginning of your spiritual journey, I can't think of a better way to introduce it. But most of us probably have some unlearning to do or there was something missing, no matter if you came from progressive, conservative or wherever you're at, because uh, again, straight quote from the book, which I completely agree with and have experienced this, in some conservative traditions, if that was your religious experience, transformation is about getting the right theology in your head, but overlooking the inner work that God wants to do. In some progressive traditions, uh, the transformation is about right actions and right engagement and doing the right things within the world, but often at the expense of humility, mercy, and grace. And then in, often in charismatic or Pentecostal traditions, which would be probably what we are, transformation is often about the right experience in the moment without the deeper work of exploring our inner lives. And so often uh, we see that, um, that superficiality has even made its way into our discipleship, and there's an incomplete part of us that's attached to our spiritual journey. And so by no fault of yours, but literally just by living and being born and, and operating here and now, there's an inescapable reality for all of us that we are being formed by a culture that is fashioned by shallowness. There's no way around it. It's, it's, we go out, that's where you go to work. It's where your kids go to school. It's where we go. It's where we do everything is just a culture of shallowness. And and when I say culture, there's kind of three things that culture really, that, that kind of absorbs our culture. When I say culture, I mean speed. Speed is everything, right? How fast can we do it? How efficient can we do things? I mean, I've even told people jokingly, half jokingly, efficiency is my love language. Like I like it, you know, there's three, two types of people. The glass is half full and the glass is half empty, but I'm the third kind. Why is the glass twice as big as it needs to be, right? Like, like we just value efficiency and speed. Some of you are gonna steal that. You're like, I just gave you words for your soul. Um, but speed, how fast can we do it? Fast, well, let's do more. Let's debt stack, let's time stack, let's steal time, let's uh, faster, faster, faster. We've been talking about this. Another thing that our culture is just ingrained into our culture is distraction. I mean, we have never been a more distracted culture. If you look at the studies, um, the attention span of adults is going down. The attention span of kids is almost non-existent. And we have so many things fighting for our attention. Commercials are shorter, ads are shorter, everything's shorter. And it's like, you got like the TV going, you got this game, and you got, then you got the, the news. And, you, and then it's like, what's going on, on on social media? And I'm answering an email and I got to do this after work thing. And what's that noise in the background? Oh, we got kids. We got kids in this house we're supposed to take care of. And it's just one distraction after another. And now the distractions are trying to interrupt your distractions so they can be more distracting than the last distracting. And you have like, what am I doing and where am I going? And then especially the last one, culture superficiality. 
It's the Instagram highlight reel. We don't get to see anybody's process. We just, it, moment to moment, highlight to highlight, superficiality, put out your best, hide your worst. And all of these are not just a truth about culture, but all of these have absolutely made their way into even our own relationship with Jesus. And so it's for that reason that over a year ago, we felt that God very clearly and, and strongly put on our hearts that when we said, God, how do you want us to go into the fall, the kind of the reset, the new season coming out of summer, that he put this book in this series. And so we've been prepping this um, in our hearts for about nine months. We've been prepping it practically for about three months. And we want to take, uh, as we dive into the new rhythms of fall and we start a new season or school year or whatever it is, we want to just slow down a little bit and ask some good questions that perhaps God wants to do some maybe shifting or even radical changing in our lives to help us to be who he made us to be and live this life in a fulfilling fashion. And so we put this here. And so here's what's going to happen. Here's what you can expect over the next five weeks. We're going to do a five-week series that is just absolutely based on a book that came out a couple years ago called The Deeply Formed Life. It's by Pastor Rich Velotis, who leads a multi-generational, multicultural, one of the most multi-ethnic uh, churches in the world in New York City. Uh, he's a fantastic uh, preacher and pastor, took over for Peter Scazzaro, who wrote all the emotionally healthy leader and spirituality. That's who he was discipled into. Has a, a barrage of different experiences. And so he wrote this book. It's it's 10 chapters, five sections, two chapters per book. So we're literally going to take a section each week. Now, we're not even going to be able to touch the surface on some of the great stuff that's in this book. And so there's three things that we are inviting and we recommend everybody to do. This is how you're going to maximize what we believe God has for us in this next five weeks. Number one, well, four things. First, come all five weeks. Really, really commit to that. And number two, we want everybody to get and read the book. There's so much good stuff in here. There's so many ideas, and I believe there's so many things that, that Rich recommends that, that God might just use to put his finger on that we won't be able to hit maybe in the services. So number one, get the book. We are not selling them um, at the, the, the desk because it's 2023 and Amazon's really easy. However, if you want help with that, there's a QR code at the desk that you can order on Amazon, but it's through our organization, so we actually get a financial kickback if you go through us on that way without having to pay any more money. So get the book, order it. It'll be here in three days. Also, all of our groups, no matter what group you signed up for, for the next five weeks, this is what we're doing. We have discussion guide, we have group guides, and if you're a marriage group, singles group, paddle boat group, uh, throw rocks at the bridge group, whatever you do, um, you're doing this the next five weeks. If you're not in a group, my recommendation is either get one or grab five friends, grab a few couples and go, let's get together, grab dinner or wings on Tuesday night, and let's discuss the, the book and let's discuss the series. So we have the groups going, that's what's happening over the next five weeks, and even to go deeper, we've created our own 21 days of prayer that we're going to do again in the fall, starting a week from Monday. So it'll be the last 21 days of the service. And again, it's all based on content from the book, the scripture. And so this is what we call an all-in series. We want you to read the book. We want you to commit to the services. We want you to get in a group and we want you to commit to the 21 days of prayer. And we are confident. I'm so excited because I believe if you will actually do this, that you're going to open your soul and your heart to God, really rearranging some things that you can live the life he created you to live, fulfillment, that you can experience the joy, you can be who he made you to be, even in a world that demands that we be speed and distracted and chaotic and superficial, that we can not, not completely leave that world, but thrive in it and be a light in it. Are you with me? And so I'm, I'm, I'm imploring you, I'm inviting you online as well, join us and do all of the things. Because we, and this is perfect on the back end of the weird series, also intentional. It's literally a part two because we've been talking about this wide road and this thin road. And, and, and I think we've established over the last four weeks this reality that we basically have one of two choices. We are either going to be formed by culture or we're going to be formed by Christ. There's no one else. It's culture or Christ. 
And so, and, 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 and while 2023 in America may create its own challenges and problems, the good news is this isn't new. The Bible addresses this. This was an issue with the very first church in the very first century because Paul, who was the apostle who helped start the church, wrote many different letters to different churches as they first started. He wrote a letter to Galatia and they had the same problem. They got the message of Jesus. They said, yes, they went all in. They experienced this transformation. But soon after they started adding some extra stuff and getting confused. And he literally opens his letter to them in Galatians chapter one. And he says this, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He goes on in verse seven to say, which is really no gospel at all. He's like, what you're doing isn't even following Jesus anymore. He's like, it wasn't that long ago you were doing it and now you're way off. And he, what he says is, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. See, the devil knows he can't mess with the truth and he can't mess with God. He can't create anything. He can only pervert anything that God's ever created. And so he's going to try to pervert this world and pervert his word in your mind and pervert your mind. And so Paul's saying, and this is a letter of compassion from a pastor saying, you were doing it and you're off. And so the whole, pre the whole premise of the entire letter of Galatians is this right here. He's going to talk about life of freedom and the spirit and the flesh and all this. And he's saying, hey, don't live like the world and don't add stuff like the Jesus that we talked about, the love God, love people, you're doing it. He's, he's saying, there's so much that is, is, is drawing you away. I want you to live this deeply formed life. And so this is, Paul dealt with it. 2,000 years ago in Greece at a much slower time and pace, we're dealing with it now. So the good news is God still wants this and has this for us. And so why do we have to go inside? Why do we have to do the deep work? Because again, the Bible, psychology, it all will tell you the same thing, that there's no way that we can experience transformation from the outside in. We have to experience it from the inside out. And what do I mean by that? You can't good works and good behavior your way into feeling better and being better. You have to have a heart change that will naturally lead to outward fruit that says, I just don't know, but I'm like, I have fulfillment, I have joy, I'm nicer, I love better. Like you have to let God into your heart. And some of you, unfortunately, your religious expression is try harder, be better, do the right thing, and maybe things will change. It won't change. The Bible doesn't say that. Psychology doesn't say that. I'm telling you it won't change. What will change is if you create space in your life to allow God to speak to your soul, you'll be transformed from the inside out. The Bible talks about it ad nauseum. And so the problem that we face is that for most of us, even in this time and culture, instead of being deeply formed, we are allowing ourselves to be shallowly shaped. Why? Because Christ wants to deeply form us in his word, but our culture is shallowly shaping us. And so that's the heart, that's the premise of this series. That's what we're gonna do the next five weeks. I know I took a third of this message to set it up, but I can't think of one of us that can't benefit from this. And I'm, my, my pastoral encouragement to everybody is gonna be, come in humble with an open, hungry heart. I believe God is going to speak to us and he's going to ask us to rearrange or reorder something that will lead to transformation, especially if, if we're willing to listen to what he says. Now, I'll tell you, anytime we've ever done a series with this, it's a little confrontational in that it's like, whoa, that's a little extreme. That's a little radical. I don't know. So let me give you what to look for. This might be underwhelming or disappointing, but in five weeks, here's what I would look for if I was in your seats, because this is what I'm doing. And I, and I kind of already know mine because I went through it. What's really the one thing God wants to tweak in your life through this? It's probably, if you try to do all of this, there's, you're gonna end up a monk in, in some mountains. Like it's not gonna happen unless God's calling you to that and then we'll bless you on the way out. <laughs> but for most of us, there's gonna be one thing that you feel that God really highlights in your heart, highlights in your life, highlights in your calendar, highlights in your countenance, highlights in your past that he's gonna go, if you will allow this to change, it will be the catalyst for transformation where you live both fulfilled and enjoy and you get to be in this world the way he created us to live. And so that's the invitation. I hope all of you will join us on this journey. 
So that leads us to chapter one. That leads us to the first section. That's the setup, the intro. And I hope that you'll invite people because I, I just can't think of anybody who won't benefit from this. Um, if you read something that's challenging, ask God uh, what, what he would say to you. If you read something you disagree with, be mature enough to chew up the meat and spit out the bones. Um, but I'm so grateful that we are a teachable, moldable, humble group of people that are all just students. By the way, I'm not the professor of this class and you're the students. I'm just a student with a microphone. We're all learning this together. I'll probably tell on myself more than you will. So, um, in fact, this is right in line with a lot of things that God put on our family's heart during sabbatical. I, I literally got back and rearranged my entire work calendar, my life calendar, and reprioritized time, energy, and money to go places so that we can start to implement some of this. I'm so far away from some of this, and so we're already seeing fruit in areas, and so I'm so excited for those of us who would be bold enough and courageous enough to listen to whatever the Holy Spirit's saying to us. So my question is, I got 20 minutes left. You guys want to keep going, or is this too much? Okay, all right. I'm going to assume some of you online are like, please don't stop. Okay. So I know we've already prayed. I don't do this often before the message because we pray like three other times, but I want to pray as we, we dive into this because I really believe we did do a series like this two years ago with another book, and we are still hearing stories about how that transformed lives because we kind of did the same thing, and so I'm so excited for what God's going to do. So with that said, Heavenly Father, we open our hearts and our lives to you. Say what you want to say to us. Uh, God, help us to be humble, teachable, and know that anything that you may be putting your finger on is only out of love so that we can maximize this thing called life and be a light in this world. So speak to our hearts what you want to say to us. Um, we're not interested in being right, and we're not interested in staying where we're at. We want to be who you made us to be. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed with that said, amen. amen. So it's chapter section one. Section one, what is it? Contemplative rhythms for an exhausted life. That's a mouthful. That's the title of the chapter. I'm not smart enough to come up with that. That's why it's a mouthful. Contemplative rhythms for an exhaustive life. Why, why that? Because I think we have to start with the pace that we live our life at. I think most of us would agree on some level that the pace we live our life is just destructive. We've talked about in the previous series, the lack of margin is debilitating. We are all worn out. And because we're so, there's no margin, we're worn out. What do we end up pushing out? We've been saying it. We push out the most important things and we keep in the least important things. And what are the most important things? I'll tell you the three things that are most important. Time for yourself, time for your family, and then a life with God. And unfortunately, when you talk to people, it's like, we're so busy, we're so going, we're so busy. And the things that most of us feel bad about is, I'm not getting enough time with my family, my wife, my kids. I'm, I'm not getting enough time with God. I don't feel like I have a life with God. And then my, I don't, can't even think about the last time I did anything for myself. And not just something I like, but really to invest into myself. And so... The truth is, as long as we stay enslaved to culture, which is what? Speed, distraction, and superficiality, then we are never going to be able to be the people longs us to be, and we're going to live much less of a life than he's actually called and created us to live, even in spite of all the broken humanity that's going on around us. And so here's why we have to start with pace and contemplative rhythms, because God has all the time in the world. He's just, as a result, he's just not in a hurry. It's so annoying. I feel like my whole life, God has been late. Anybody else ever feel that way? I didn't get a job fast enough. I didn't get a girlfriend fast enough. I didn't get a raise fast enough. I didn't get an answer prayer fast enough. I didn't get healing fast enough. God didn't change my neighbor fast enough. He didn't change my, my boss fast enough. He hasn't spoken to my spouse about all those things fast enough. It's never fast enough. Which is awesome because I love, there's two kind of modern day theologians of our time that, that put it brilliantly. N.T. Wright says it so brilliantly. He says, it's only when I slow down in my life that I catch up to God. 
Isn't that profoundly brilliant? You're not going to find God in the fast pace. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, God is not slow as we understand slowness. He's, not, he's, not, he's, he's patient. He's got a different timeline. Um, I love Dallas Willard said it this way. He said that hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our day. In fact, they've coined the term hurried sickness. It's a real thing where we are stressed and always feel like we're in a hurry to get somewhere, even when we're not, because we're just so conditioned to always being in a hurry. And so here's the truth. Here's the hard truth that, that is, if, to be honest, is probably why if you miss this, is why you're going to miss it. It's why I've missed it in my life at different times and seasons. Because unless, unless you have an intentional commitment, intentional commitment to slow down, we actually have no hope for the quality of life that God has for us and that will allow him to form us into his image. If you don't intentionally slow down, you don't even have any, not that you don't have hope for eternity or salvation, but you'll be living on a prayer and hanging on by an edge. You don't have a hope for the quality of life that he has for you. And what's interesting is if you look at scripture, almost everybody God used to, to experience, to expand his kingdom, to build his kingdom, whether it was Israel or the church, they all operated and understood this. Joshua, Daniel, Joseph, Moses, Mary, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul, all of these guys spent more time alone with God and slowing down than they did building, building temples, building kingdoms, slaying giants, slaying lions, and all of these, even doing miracles. I want to show you a few of them. King David, uh, arguably one of the most iconic people in, in Israel's uh, history. He slayed Goliath, killed lions, tigers, and bears, wrote the Psalms. He was a king of a nation that built Israel to the kingdom. It was his son Solomon built a temple because it was his idea. Dude had stuff to do, yet dude spent more time alone writing songs and Psalms to God. And here's what he said. The guy who did all the things I just said, here's what he said in Psalm 27, verse four. He said, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only one thing do I seek. It had nothing to do with the temple. It had, or it had, building a temple it had nothing to do with slaying giants. It had nothing to do with being captain of an army. It had nothing to do with being a war hero or king. He said, that I may dwell. Somebody say dwell. dwell. That's not a quick, I'm going to stop by real quick and say what's up. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. What does that mean? To spend time, to be in your presence. I'm not going to be in a hurry to go to the next thing. And what am I going to do while I dwell? Gaze. I'm going to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. You ever, you remember or ever have a time where you were just so into somebody that you could just literally gaze at them and you didn't need words and you weren't in a hurry. In fact, the only thing that could ruin it if something else came in, you're like, stop, don't ruin this. Don't steal this from me. It was awesome. And then you had kids and you'll never have that moment again, but it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> but kids are awesome. You just don't do gazing much. And then you get older and you can't see. And so you're like, that's not even as good as it used to be. So heaven sounds really good. Um, Gaze on the beauty. I'm not in a hurry. I want to dwell in his house. I want to gaze on his beauty. And then what? Seek him in his temple. Seek him. Go after him. Not get a quick text message, not check in. David was not in a hurry when it came to God. How about Mary, the mother of Jesus? The angels show up and they tell her, you're going to have the savior. You've been waiting thousands of years, 400 years of silence, all the prophecies and the angels are going crazy and people are going crazy. And everybody's like, Let's, oh my gosh. And imagine if you were told, first of all, most of us think of women, how you are when you find out you're pregnant. We got to build a crib and it can't just be any crib. It's got to be the best crib. And we got to get the colors. And we got to do all the things. But this is Jesus. My goodness, it's got to be really good. It's got to be really glorious. The last thing I'd want is to be born in a barn with a bunch of animals. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yet when Mary found out she was pregnant, it says that in Luke 2, 19, while everything else was going on around her and there was chaos and distraction, that she treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. 
In fact, she broke out in the Magnificat, which is a psalm she would have memorized in her early school years before girls weren't allowed to be educated any further. She pondered them in her heart. So we have David, the king. Moses spent 40 years in the desert before he delivered them and spent another 40 years in the desert. You know what he was doing? He was going slow enough that one day when God showed up in a bush, he recognized him. Joseph had a dream when he was young, but it wasn't until almost double the age he was that even he started to see it come into fruition while God developed him in pits and serving and in foreign nations. Daniel, while he ran Babylon three times a day, was seen praying and pushing pause. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. People would go out to the wilderness because he wouldn't come to their world. Almost everybody throughout scripture. And then let's talk about Jesus. Here's the craziest thing to me about Jesus. He had three years to save the world and he spent way more of it by himself than he did with people alone. And what was he doing? Luke chapter 15, five, verse 15 tells us, Jesus had healed the sick, walked on water, done miracles, raised the dead. You name it, he's done it. Like they cannot believe how this guy is and says news about him spread all the more. So crowds came to hear him and be healed everywhere he went. Watch this in verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place to pray. You think you got an email to send? You think you got a TPS port report? You think you got grades to... This dude had like sick people and dying people. He's like, can't, gotta go, gotta go. There's a story in Luke where they brought all the people who had need to him. He's like, I can't anymore. I gotta go be with my father. Because while he was fully God, he embraced being fully human. And he's like, if I don't go away and I gotta, I'm emptied myself, if I don't get more from the Lord, I'm gonna have nothing to offer you guys tomorrow. If Jesus embraced this, maybe, and I mean, he was God. So I think if he needed it, then we did. Why does this matter? Because the speed that we live at does violence against our souls. Here's the most important part of this, and here's why this really matters. The distraction and the spade, because I believe all the inner distractions, all the noise and self-talk and videos and images we got going in our head and our heart, as well as all the outer pull and outer distraction, they minimize our capacity to see anything that God is doing either around us or inside of us. I'm gonna say it again. The inner and outer distractions that we have minimize our capacity to see any of the work that God is doing around us or inside of us. The best picture I could give is imagine somebody who is standing in the middle of a supermarket, but starving to death. I'm so hungry, there's nothing to eat. But they're so busy, they're so frantic, they're so, dis they're so distracted that they haven't stopped to think about the fact that they're at stinking Publix. You got the deli, you got the sushi, you got the fresh food, you got the canned goods, you got the dairy, there's frozen items, like whatever you want. It's like, how could you be in a supermarket and starve to death? That's crazy. But for many of us, spiritually, that's our reality. We're in a supermarket of God's love. We're in a supermarket everywhere. God is not distant and God is not silent. I'm gonna say it again. God is never distant and God is never silent. He's always active. He's always on the move. He's always there. And sometimes it's in the silence because sometimes he wants us to die to the false God of good feelings. But he's always active. But some of us, that's a picture of our spirituality. We're literally in a spiritual supermarket, but we're spiritually starving because we're completely unaware that his grace and his mercy and his activity is all around us, in us and through us and around us. And it's because I don't think we've slowed down enough to go, God, I want to tune into your station and I want to turn off some of the other channels. It happens every day. We're locked in the supermarket and his abundant love, it's available to you. Fulfillment is available to you. Grace, peace, and mercy is available to you, but we're spiritually starving. But it doesn't have to be this way. And so here's where we start, kind of start to, to, to wrap this first week up. 
And again, we aren't going to touch on, there's so much we're not going to touch on. So I really hope you get the book and I really hope you do a group because that's going to help. But, but why this matters is because God is not really in the business of improving your lives. He's committed to transforming it, which is way better. When I think of an improvement, I think of a tweak. I think of a recalibration. And there's always going to be things that God speaks, but what he really wants is transformation. He wants you to go from death to life, from grief to joy, from hopelessness to hope, from depressed to, 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 to trusting. There's so much that God wants to do and can do, but we have to create the space. It's like N.T. Wright said, we're going to have to slow down to catch up to God. And this is why, truthfully, I'll be honest, I know I've already lost some of you. Because you're like, Pastor, you just don't know my, you just don't know my life. You don't know my story. I might. I mean, there's a lot of you. We have a lot of services. I have a lot of staff. I have two children. I got a few things going on. I might know what you're up against. And so what if instead of use the excuses why we can't, we went, God help me. Because he wants to transform us. He wants to infuse you with his life. He wants you to experience joy, even in unjoyful circumstances. Every day he moves towards you in love, reaching out to you, wanting you to see his activity, wanting you to hear his voice, pleading with you just to have a life with him. And so the last, the, every section gives you kind of the background chapter and then the practical chapter. So I'm just going to tell you some weeks we're going to focus more on the heart and the why. Some of them we're going to focus more on the practical, but I want to give you four practices. How can I, I'm going to give you these quick um, and, and you're going to have to dive in. And I, again, there's so many good examples in here. So I hope you get the book, but how do I become deeply formed? Okay, pastor, you have my attention. I'm willing to at least be open. I'm willing to at least acknowledge that God maybe wants to do something. Where do I start? Well, he gives four practices. And I'm not just telling you this because of the book. I have employed all of these and they have transformed my life when I have made time for them. And so four indispensable practices for becoming deeply formed. I hope you'll screenshot these. I hope you'll write them down. You'll take notes. You'll remember them and you'll bring them into a prayer time this week as you dive into this with God. And the first one is silent prayer. Somebody say silent prayer. Prayer is a good place to start, to be honest. But silent prayer is this idea that I don't always have to say anything. I don't have to get through a to-do list and I don't have to give you my agenda. I just simply want to sit and be with you. It says one scripture says, be still and know that he is God. And here's what I've found in silent prayer. It is murder to me. I'm the worst at it. But I, God showed me something as I've tried to employ this in my life. I get distracted more than most of you, I promise. Just take my word for it. But you know what I've learned? Every time I sit in silent prayer before I actually write a, a, a prayer or worship or read something, every time I get distracted is an opportunity for me to come back. So what if next time you try silent prayer, you don't go, oh, I got distracted 50 times, but you go, I came back 51 times. And you just train your mind and your soul to slow down. 30 seconds, 60 seconds, five minutes. This is not a nap. This is intentional connecting with God. Most of you will probably fall asleep because it's the first time your body told you that you listened. Stop it. You're killing us. And God's not going to hate you for it. Silent prayer. Any relationship that's grown over time has the capacity to just be together and not have to say anything. I'm not talking the disconnected. We don't know each other anymore. I'm talking about we can just be in the car, sit in the room. We don't have to say anything. I know you're there and I'm secure in it. Also, the reason silent prayer is, is good is it relieves us, relieves us of, of our agenda. And it also, I've mentioned it, helps us to die to the false God of I have to feel something to feel like God is near me. Most of the time you're with God, you won't feel anything. If you need that, you're never gonna get past superficiality and spiritual immaturity. I'm just gonna tell you that. Most of the time you just have to 
Be still and trust and know that God is there because the earth is the Lord's is in the fullness thereof. David said, where can I go where, I, where your presence is? I, if I go up higher there, if I go to the depths, you're there. If I go to Sheol, you're like, there's nowhere I can go. That's not because he felt something every time. It's because there was faith in that. That's number one. Number two, and again, I got to go quick through these. This one, and this one's big. We, we talk about this at our staff a lot and, and all the craziness going on here. Sabbath keeping. What is Sabbath? It is a day of rest for your soul. What do I mean? I don't mean a day off of work where you mow the grass, clean the house, clean the pool, grocery shop, run the kids everywhere. I know that's some of your reality. It's a day where you get to invest into yourself, connect to your family and connect to God. It can be a pool day. It can be a date night with your spouse. It can be reading a book. It can be nine holes of golf. It can be just staring at the water. And, and I already know some of you, I know, I know what you're thinking. You're like, that's crazy. That's not possible. So make it possible. You are ridiculously in charge of your own life. You are ridiculously in charge of your schedule. So change it. This is something that me and my family try hard. We have a day where we get stuff done, but we have a, we, even when we came off sabbatical, I think I already mentioned this. I rearranged my entire life, my work schedule, my, my house schedule, um, the things I'm saying yes and no to because we weren't doing this that great. Sabbath is not a reward for hard work. Hard work. It's an invitation that your, that your um, value isn't in your work. It's an invitation to not be dominated by work. And it moves us from the scorecard of production to presence of God. We'll talk about, I'll probably do a whole, a whole message on Sabbath and how you can still have one in 2023. But it's really, really important. The next one is, is gonna give context to something I've said a few times from this stage that some of you didn't like. I've said before, I don't know that I'll ever read the whole Bible in a year. I'm not saying that because I get distracted. I'm not saying that because I don't like to read and I'm not saying that because I'm not a good reader. I, none of those things are actually true. It's because... When I read the whole Bible in a year, I miss most of the good stuff. And so the third practice is slow reading of scripture. Here's what I mean by slow reading of scripture. I'm not letting you off the hook to be like, Corey said I only have to read like three, three words or one verse. That's not what I said. It's, it's, let me give you like three thoughts. It's reading the scripture with the purpose or intention of encountering God. His word is alive and it will speak to you. So God, I'm just gonna connect with you. And then here's the second part with that. It's not about memorizing or having all that. There's a place for that. But it's literally just highlighting one word or one phrase that you feel like jumped out to you in light of where you're at today. You could read the same exact verse or passage in three months and a different word or phrase will be highlighted. But what do I feel like God is highlighting me today? And then you talk to God about the thing he just highlighted. Slow reading of scripture. I'm trying to do less better. I'm trying to read slower. I want to gather it all. I want God to speak. I'm not trying to have a check. Like, I'm a good pastor. I read my Bible this year. I read one verse seven times. And on the seventh time, this word was highlighted. And I realized that God was speaking to me about humility or whatever the case may be. Slow reading of scripture. And then the last one, as we close, is a commitment to stability. What does that mean? Um, I, you know, I love golf. Um, and growing up, I would have my dad or my coach be like, hey, I want to help you. And they would tell me to... Uh, try this with my swing. And I was notorious for getting up, trying it one time, like, see, that didn't work. I'm going to go back to the other thing that's not working. I knew there was never a commitment. It wasn't until I committed to trying something multiple times where I actually got better. So many of us try that in our spiritual life. We'll go try to pray one time. I didn't feel anything or I didn't hear anything. I, I fasted one day and all I was angry and hungry. I tried silent prayer and I fell asleep and got distracted. Stick with it. Stick with it. Stick with it. You can do it. Let's not get sucked down to this level of immaturity that our culture of franticness and, 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 and distraction and superficiality and speed. Commit to going, we're gonna be here for five weeks. We're gonna do a group for five weeks. I'm gonna do 21 days of prayer. I'm gonna, whatever it is, I'm gonna read the book, even if it takes me a year, because I'm gonna read it slowly. He said I could. Fine, do it. 
I've been reading this book real slow because there's a lot for me to go, God, is that me? God, where are we at on that? Is that, that, where are we at? Those four things. So with the couple minutes we have left, I feel like it would almost be hypocritical if I just said, okay, guys, let's go do it. Go, ready, go. And so I just want to give you 30 to 60 seconds to employ silent prayer, to just sit and be in the presence of God. And we're just going to let this be the starting line of going, God, for the next five weeks, my soul is on the table for you to speak to. So I'm not going to say anything other than a quick prayer, and then I'll be back with you in a minute. But let's, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes only to eliminate distractions. And let's just be in the presence of God for 30 to 60 seconds. God, we just want to sit with you. Probably some of you are thinking, oh, please let it keep going because your soul is begging for this. And for some of you, that 50 seconds felt like the longest two hours of your week, which would tell you that there's something wrong with our pace. And so I want to invite you, even if you just start with two or three minutes of instrumental music a couple times a day to go, God, I'm just going to sit with you. I want to try to quiet my soul and tune into what you're doing. Now, before I close, I want to say this. For some of you, these tactics aren't gonna do you a whole lot of good if you're still running your life your way. The real secret of this is understanding that there's a God who loves you and created you to live a better, different way, but it only works if you surrender and submit your life into his hands. And our, we exist here to introduce people to Jesus. And so rather than just try some tactics, if you've, if you've never put your faith in a God that loves your soul this much and, and you're willing to say, what I've tried hasn't worked, I need to say yes, I need to surrender and submit my life to Jesus. I'm ready to make that decision. Every weekend we give the opportunity to people to do that. And every weekend people say that. And so I would love to just pray with you if that's you um, and end and our, our service with that. And so I'm just curious online or in person, is there anybody here who say, I got I to gotta surrender my life to Jesus before I do this. Anybody, anybody hand, just slip your hand up, put it down. Yeah, I see those hands. Cool. I see those hands. If, you've, if this is the first time you've ever made that decision, I want to implore you to do one last thing. Right after we pray and you leave, I'd love for you to text the word KPS to 94000 because we're just going to help you maximize this relationship and help you to grow without overwhelming you. So, and, and it'll help us to track with you. So please text that if you've never, ever done that before. We also have another rule here that nobody prays alone. So I'm just going to close with a very simple prayer and we're all going to pray it together because it's going to cover everything we just talked about. So I'm going to invite you to join me and repeat this prayer after me if you would. Heavenly Father, I believe you made me on purpose, with a purpose, and you have a pace and a rhythm that I work best. I don't want to be shallowly shaped by this culture. I want to be deeply formed by you. So take my life, take my heart, I give it to you. I submit it all to you 
rearrange, recalibrate, redirect, transform whatever I need most, whether I'm aware of it or not. Thank you for sending Jesus, not only as the example, but as the sacrifice for my soul. Thank you for saving me. My life is yours. Help me to make it count. In Jesus' name, amen. As is true every weekend also, if you need prayer for anything, we have a ministry team right there in our prayer room. And for those of you online, we're so glad you're with us. We also have a virtual prayer room as well. I hope you'll get the book. I hope you'll join a group. I hope you'll start to make room for your soul. And I can't wait to go through this with you over the next five weeks. I love you guys and we'll see you next weekend.